Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Two games in the NHL tonight. Two series could end. Game five between the Islanders and the Capitals will get underway in a few minutes. Of course, the Islanders are up three games to one in that series. And then just after 8.30 at Rogers Place, it's game six, Dallas and Calgary. The Stars lead that series three games to two. Tomorrow, it's going to be the Flyers and the Canadians and the Blues and the Canucks. And, of course, the Canadians staying alive yesterday, but they are going to be without Brendan Gallagher as Gallagher has a broken jaw done for the series. So it took a cross-check late in the third period from Flyers defenseman Matt Niskanen. And so Gallagher, Matt Niskanen. So Gallagher, who, uh, you know, a little bit in the doghouse there with Kirk Muller earlier in the series, got a goal last night, now unable to go. And he was pretty bloodied in that game. A lot of chirping at the Philadelphia bench. That one got a little bit nasty. Carter Hart. Looked like he was going to be pulled in that game and then was put back in. We'll discuss all that with our weekly guest, former NHL goaltender, now an analyst with the NHL on Rogers, Kelly Rudy. He's going to check in a little bit later on tonight. Baseball today, the Toronto Blue Jays are now up to 12-11 and 11 on this abbreviated season. They played a doubleheader today against the Phillies. Now, because of the adjustments to the schedule, the games are seven innings long. They took the first game of the Twin Bill 3-2. And then how about this in the later game? They won 9-8. They trailed 7-0 after the top of the first inning. Phillies got seven in the top of the first. Jays got two back in the bottom of the first. Stayed 7-2 until the bottom of the sixth. When Toronto got seven of their own, Philadelphia got one back, but the Blue Jays won it 9-8. Interesting game there for the Blue Jays. So, yeah, they move up to 12-11 and on the season. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and EE Radio 630. Chad, my name is Reed Wilkins. I'm always happy to hear from you. The number to call and text is 780-496-0063. We uh, should be hooking up with CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi in a minute or two here as well. He has uh, a lot to say, I'm sure. We'll try to talk to him for as long as we can with the uh, major news this week that the Canadian Football League will not have a 2020 season. Blake Dermott, our EE analyst here on 630 Chet, former player from the team, will hop on as well. Certainly a a tough week for current and former players in the league. And uh, Blake will let us know how he's feeling. And later on tonight, we'll go to the Ranch Golf and Country Club with uh, Murray McCourt, who is, uh, well... He's the boss out there, general manager and executive golf pro at the Raff Ranch Golf and Country Club. Uh, Flyers, or pardon me, Islanders and Capitals just about uh, to face off. Islanders were up three games to nothing in this series, up two nothing in game four. Capitals fought back to win the game and uh, will now try to stay alive and force game six and see if they can tighten things up for the Islanders a little bit further.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Uh, we're looking to connect with Randy Ambrosi right away, so we'll take a timeout right now and hopefully have the commission when we get back. difficult announcement made by this man earlier this week he is the commissioner of the canadian football league randy ambrosi who told us all that there will not be a season in 2020 randy you're on with reed in edmonton how are you doing sir i'm fine reed how are you well i'm doing okay it's uh, been a lot of talking about the canadian football league this week I, I wish it was about games and all that kind of stuff but we will deal with the news of the day and thanks for Thanks for making time for us. I know it's been a busy week and, and you've been doing a lot of these interviews. Randy, I'm, I'm going to dive right in here. Um, one of the quotes that struck my ear and eyes as I heard it and read it on Monday was that you, you said that we need to have a more cooperative ecosystem in the Canadian Football League. And that led me to think like, oh, is it is it not cooperative? Are there issues right now? I'm wondering if you can expand on that. Yeah, I, I, I guess, Reid, I, I, perhaps the word cooperative isn't perfectly appropriate, but, but I think it's maybe the word collaborative. When I, when I arrived three years ago, I think what I found is that, uh, you know, we had really nine teams that all ran their businesses, and the league didn't necessarily have uh, a line of sight to how those businesses operated. And I, and I personally felt there was room to do more collaboration between the teams, more more resource sharing, more best practices sharing. Reed, it was further it was further highlighted when we started spending time with the NBA, uh, and the NBA had created a very interesting shared services uh, uh, business as part of its league office operation. And what what became obvious is that some of what the uh, that the NBA has seen in terms of this remarkable success has come because they have created this remarkable uh, shared services mindset, a, a culture where they they really help one another off, you know, off the court and then they compete on the court. And I, I think that's an area, we've made some tremendous inroads, by the way, uh, over the past uh, two and a half years, but I think this is a time now, I read there's an expression in business, you you spend a lot of your time working in the business. I think this is a time for us to work on the business. Okay, that's a good answer. Thanks for clarifying that. There, there was a lot made of the, the loan and that ultimately uh, you guys weren't able to get that from the federal government. Can you outline, though, for fans, because it's my understanding there was a, a chance maybe to still get some sort of a loan, but there would have been some interest rates attached you know, with some of the owners in the league that, you know, might have some deep pockets from other ventures? Was there not a way to, to make this work? Am I, am I reading this properly? What can you tell us there? 
Well, yeah, again, you know, Reed, one of the one of the unique features of our league is that we have three very distinctive kinds of ownership groups. We've got our three community teams of which Edmonton is is one of our, you know, is one of the, those three. We have three corporate teams uh, and corporate by corporate. I mean, you know, they sit inside a sports conglomerate. Ottawa, Toronto and Calgary are in that group. And then we have three private owners, you know, BC, uh, BC, Hamilton, and Montreal now. And uh, and which is to say that not every solution works for all nine teams and all three types of ownership groups. And when we started meeting with the, the government going back into March and April, you know, we were very, we were very, uh, we tried to be very clear and precise on the challenges that those three types of ownership groups. Uh, would create and and there were some kinds of vehicles uh, that just simply wouldn't work in a community team that might work in a private team or a corporate team and uh, and and again to be to be fair read we made real progress uh, up until Friday morning I would tell you I think we had every reason to believe that we were going to get something done with the government and something happened on Friday and I'm not sure what it is uh, but something changed, and all of a sudden, you know, what we were talking about went away. So, you know, I don't think this should be identified as an issue of, you know, any one type of our ownership group not cooperating or or standing in the way of getting this done, because until Friday night at 7.30 Eastern, we had every reason to believe that we were in good shape and we were going to get, um, and we were going to get, a, a you know, an arrangement made with the federal government. And, and as I say... I don't know that there's. Um, I don't. The word I. The word I've been using all week is disappointment. I, I don't think there's room. Uh, in, certainly not for me, Reed, with anger, because uh, we met some remarkable Canadians uh, along the way. I think really did want to help us, but something, you know, something fell apart in the late stages, and obviously, as I say, that was very disappointing. Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner of the CFL, joining us tonight on Inside Sports as uh, we discuss the cancellation of the 2020 season. Randy, look, uh, there, there's a saying in football that the quarterback gets too much of the blame when his team loses and maybe too much of the credit when the team wins. I, I think with the commissioner, you can just probably cut that off at the blame part. Unfortunately for you, you maybe get too much of the blame when something doesn't go wrong. But but I, I do want to ask you, look, you know you've, you've been criticized at parts for this um whether it's uh you know the the talk to may may 7th to the finance committee or some of the things with the players I, 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 if you fair or not or do you look back at anything and say okay I, in hindsight i wish i would have done this I, I know this is a this is a tough question but i'm just wondering you know what you kind of take out of some of this oh my gosh yeah look reed if i went back to to the beginning i would say um the way we the way we thought about and the advice we got from government relations experts was to really position this as uh, kind of a two year. Uh, we were you know we were expecting that this would be challenging for two years, and we aggregated the worst case scenario. I think the one biggest regret I have is the 150 million dollar number, which really wasn't our ask, by the way. But it became what people uh, thought of of our ask, and you know, in fact, ironically, what we were really asking for to at least to start was a thirty million dollar loan to help get us back on the field in twenty in twenty twenty, and in fact, that turned out to be exactly what uh, 
the discussions were all the way through, you know, August until the disappointing announcement on Friday. But, you know, Reed, one of the things that I learned uh, through this, and I've been, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I guess I, I, I watch the news. I read news. I read more than, more than a handful of newspapers every day is that we're watching someone, and I won't say, I uh, won't mention any names. We're watching someone on the world stage today that takes no responsibility for anything unless it's good stuff. And I just won't be that person. I, I won't do that because I think it's disingenuous to my responsibility. I think it's disingenuous to my, to my relationship with the teams and to the players and the coaches. And so in the end, uh, when something goes wrong, you have to be willing. I, I believe you have to be willing to take responsibility for it. And we, and we didn't succeed here. And, uh, and I feel like I've let a lot of people down. So there were things that I wish we could have done differently. Uh, there were a couple of moments in particular uh, I wish I could change. But, Reed, uh, this is my first pandemic, and not surprisingly, uh, we're all going to have learned things along the way. But, boy, when it comes to being taking responsibility for what happened, I, I think uh, I just I can't help but feel responsible to our fans and to our players and coaches that uh, that I didn't get this done for them. Yeah. Well, thanks for that, Randy. Uh, appreciate your honesty. Let's let's look ahead a little bit. Look, Randy, I, I've spent uh, most of the show this week uh, talking to Brock Sunderland, Scott Milanovic, uh, Len Rhodes, uh, Mark Kohan, who was who was in your chair, and and there seems to be a consensus that, and you touched on it. There's an opportunity to take a deep breath, to do some work. Uh, maybe make some adjustments with the league and come back in 2021. Everybody's confident that this league is is not going away. It's a Canadian institution. Um, but how does it need to look and or operate in in 2021? Um, you, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go through all the ideas that have been pitched to me by other people, but you, you've probably heard a lot of them uh, yourself and, 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 and read stuff. Is there... I, I know there's a lot to talk about, but is there a concrete thing or two where you can say like this has to be different or this has to be improved by the time oh we kick gosh, off yeah. next year? Um, yeah, Reed, it's absolutely clear to me that one of the things that has to change clearly is that we have to create alignment. All of our core partners, every single one of our core our core uh, stakeholders has to be aligned with our business model and there has to be skin in the game and there has to be an opportunity for everyone to participate in our long-term success if i was critical of, of this league i would say one of the things we've done badly and we can do better now is we need to make sure that everyone is uh, everyone wants the same thing and I, and what i mean by that specific we need to have a way for our players to and our coaches to share and be part of our revenue equation. Why? Because, frankly, that's what's going to make sure that everyone wants to grow our revenue. And, and so, you know, I've been, I've been talking a lot about a revenue growth sharing strategy because I think that is critical. And it has to literally be everyone uh, has to be part of that and and i'm and i'm frankly including our alumni which is a conversation that i'm looking forward to having in the days weeks and months ahead because we've got as we well know in edmonton uh you know hector is the is the president of the of the eskimos alumni 
but man, there's a, one of the most amazing alumni organizations in the country. And if all you have to do is look at the at what they did two years ago in, in Grey Cup 2018 and that amazing lunch they hosted, we need to harness the power of our alumni. We need to harness the power of our players and our coaches. And I think that's an area that we can definitely do better. We have to do more resource sharing because that's going to allow us to manage our cost structure. And, um, and, and managing your costs is an important part of any business. And I, and I think it's an area we can do better. And then as I, as I kind of connect all the dots, we've got we've to get into our markets. And we've got to welcome new people. And we've got this amazing fan base and one of the best fan bases in the country in Edmonton. But we've got we to gotta reach into those communities um, and, and invite people who maybe haven't been to an Eskimo game before or haven't been to a Grey Cup before. And, and those in Edmonton and around the country who have been have to tell them just how Canadian you will feel when you are at a great cup and you're standing shoulder to shoulder with a Stampeders fan or a Riders fan or a Lions fan. And, and in that moment, you're just a Canadian and you're so proud to be part of, of what this league stands for. So, Reed, I think that's an area we need to work on really hard now and you know a couple of lessons uh, larry smith did in montreal when when they rebuilt the alouettes and ended up having one of the greatest eras in cfl history that's what larry smith did he reached in every community in quebec and made them feel part of the alouettes we need to we need to do that kind of work in in all nine cfl cities Randy, I, I always appreciate you coming on the show. I, I know it's a tough week for you and, and everybody who works for the league or real, really any Canadian who cares about the league. So uh, thanks for reaching out tonight. Uh, uh, I appreciate your honesty with everything. I know we'll talk down the road. And take care, Randy. Thank you so much. Yeah. Hey, Reed, if I can, just best wishes to you and, and, uh, and your family and all the you know Edmontonians and all the, all the Edmonton and I mean, you guys are one of the greatest cities in the in the world, and and I'm proud of my association, and I just wish everyone my very best. Right on, thank you, Randy. Thanks, Randy Ambrosi is the commissioner of the Canadian Football League. Uh, some interesting stuff in there. Um, I think we know in that type of position, you can't always be super specific in all of your answers, but he did give. A couple, uh, what I thought, very specific answers and definitely acknowledge there are some things that need to change. We'll discuss further with Blake. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Islanders lead the Capitals 1-0, 7.40 left in the first. Stars and Flames a little bit later on. Calgary must win to force Game 7. Blue Jays swept a doubleheader from the Phillies. We just had CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi on the show. This texture writing in to 780-496-0063 saying the CFL is a failed business model. They refuse to adopt or even copy a successful football model operating in plain sight, the NFL. Despite Mr. Ambrosi's positive comments, none of his ideas will work. Fold the CFL and bring an NFL team to Edmonton. Wow, a lot in a short text. To that texter, I will say this. Uh, the CFL trying to copy the NFL in itself would be a recipe for failure. I mean, you can't compare the size of the crowds. 
you can't compare the television money. Um, you, you just can't compare the revenue at all. So I think, uh, I, I mean, yes, if, if the CFL uh, had 100 times more of the television money than it does now, then maybe you could say they could copy the NFL's uh, business model. But I mean, that's, that's like saying if you own a corner store, you should run it the same way that uh, Safeway is run. It's just, I mean, to that texture, that's not a valid criticism, what you're saying. Uh, yeah, and I don't think there'd be ever be an NFL team in Edmonton either. Uh, Blake Dermott is on the line. Blake, uh, I hope I'm not being hard on that person who wrote that in, but I mean, you can't, that's that's an apple. They both play football. Other than that, to me, it's an apple to, apples to oranges comparison. Well, Reed, when, when, when you hear people make comments like that, you realize how uneducated people are about professional sports because that truly was a comment made with not a lot of thought and not a lot of realistic uh, expectations about, uh, you know, you think it's just so easy to snap your fingers and you can uh, copy a model. It's just, it's just not even, it's not, it's not even worth commenting on. Uh, there's an awful lot of things the CFL isn't. Okay. And uh, being a model of the NFL is certainly one of them. Um, but uh, there's an awful lot of things that the CFL is. And I think that there, there, is, there is a market for what it is. But over the last number of years, and this, you could probably stretch this back to 20 years, 30 years. Um, actually, you know, from even when I was playing, of course, uh, back to the, uh, the 90s, the, uh, there has been a decline and, and in the, the attendance. Um, but there's been a rise in, in, in revenues and uh, in television uh, revenues and advertising revenues and those kinds of things. Because obviously, when you look at what the salaries were being paid back when I was playing, compare them to what they're being paid now, there has been considerable amount of progress. But the, the world has changed too. Um, I mean, even if you look at NFL cities, they don't all sell, sell out like people think. Um, there were, it wasn't too long ago that you could walk up at any given time to a, a, a Phoenix Cardinals game and get a ticket. Uh, right. They don't, they're, they're not, they, they don't all sell out. Yes, they make money. If they're run properly, they make you know more money than you can haul in a wheelbarrow uh but they they uh um they they have their issues as well um and and they've always had their issues i remember one time that this was back when i was playing um that the edmonton eskimos they had nfl teams coming up to edmonton to talk to management because the edmonton eskimos averaged more season ticket sales than 80 percent of the nfl teams the edmonton eskimo organization had at, at that time i think there was like fifty thousand season tickets uh, this would have been back in the um, uh, late, uh, late 80s, early 90s. It, it, was a, it was an unbelievable amount of season tickets. And uh, they, uh, the NFL teams were averaging something like 35 to 40,000 season tickets. So, so there's an awful lot of things uh, that, that Randy Ambrosi has to do. And, he ha- and some of them have to uh, do what he said at the end of his uh, uh, conversation with you. They've got to uh, leave no stone unturned. And they've got to do whatever they can. And uh, what they've been doing up to this point now isn't working. So they've got to make some changes. Yeah. And, and he talked about that they, they need a little bit more collaboration. I, I appreciated how he outlined the three different types of ownership models they have in the league and what works for one might not work for another. You know, I, I had Len Rhodes on the show. I had Mark Cohan on the show. And they, they both said, is there is it time to explore where maybe, you know, some teams might be owned by the the community ownership teams might stay the same but kind of a league entity owns the rest of the teams and that way people are more on the same page i mean i i think 
those are those are some things that sound radical but like like Len said earlier this week, now is the time to think radical, like the NHL did when they lost an entire season. Like, I, I, hopefully, every idea is on the table, and maybe something that seems strange right now might wind up working. I don't know. No, I, I got to believe that that's correct. That I think that uh, they they have to look at every possible option because uh, because you know I here's the thing too. It's like. Um, uh, a, uh, a publicly owned operation uh, works really well in Edmonton, works well in Winnipeg, works well in, in Saskatchewan, but it obviously it's probably not going to work as well in some place like Toronto uh, or Hamilton or, you know, B.C. So, but it, it's much like the 50-50 draw that the Oilers ran. I mean, that's an Edmonton phenomenon. I mean, and, and much has been talked about incorporating that thing now into a, a broader scale and, and possibly, you know, uh, uh, turning that into something that, that this, the, the CFL League can utilize to increase revenues. And, and, uh, and, I, and I know that's been discussed amongst the uh, board of directors here in Edmonton and I'm sure uh, league executives when they saw what had happened with that. Uh, and I don't know how that works with respect to the government and gaming and all those things, but they've got a little bit of time now to be able to try to address that and if, if funds can be raised so that funds can then go to uh social programs from from lotteries or uh 50 50 draws or 30 30 30 draws however you want to do it um if funds can be raised that's less of a tax on the government and we all know how much how the the, the federal government has been throwing money around like drunken sailors in the last uh, four months and and a lot of it because they've had to so any way to take pressure off of that by by uh, you know adding more funds through gaming uh, might be a good a good opportunity for the CFL to step in on. What concerns me, Blake, and I, and I, I hate myself for saying this because I, I I love the CFL and it's been something I've watched since I was a little kid, and I, I I feel really lucky to to work at a station where we broadcast the games and get to talk about the league quite a bit. What worries me is that the CFL has a product that fewer and few people want. And no matter how they market it or dress it up or sell it or how good the games are some weeks or how exciting the playoffs are some weeks, that it's just something that some people don't consider um, spending their money on. I, I mean, like, here's an example. Blake, I and if, you, if this is a genre of music you like, I'm not trying to start this argument. I don't like country music. And I work for a company that has a very successful country music station in the building. And I realize that there are really, really talented musicians and singers in country music. I just don't like the genre of music. So no matter how you try to present it to me, I'm not going to start buying CDs and downloading country music on iTunes. That's what I'm afraid the CFL has become to some people, just something they don't consider buying. I don't know. Sounds like you just described Major League Baseball. (laughs) because uh, and and that's the thing that people people have a tendency to always want to do is is to just say that this is a CFL problem. I don't think this is a CFL problem. I think this is a this is a problem because and I've said this thing before and and this can be for a number of different reasons. From 30 years ago, when we could say, and probably even a little bit longer than that, but let's say 30 years ago when the CFL was probably at its peak when the first 60,000-seat stadiums came into the league, and, 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 then, and then there were three of them, and, and, and they were filling them for great cups and all of those kinds of things. Um, the world has changed an awful lot. There is an awful lot more to do now and an awful lot more places to spend your money. 
And and so if you are going to attract the, the casual fan or even the uh, the long-term fan, you've got to have uh, you've got to be able to offer them something that they can commit to. And there is just so many options for things to spend money on. And uh, you know, you saw with the exception, you know, the Oilers here in Edmonton, of course, uh, and even they saw season tickets drop uh, over this this past season. But the NFL seems to be the only one that seems to be maintaining that. But but many other sports, uh, many other sports are are falling behind because there's other things that people would rather watch. You could say the same thing about boxing, um, with MMA taking over uh, as the number one combat sport type of uh, an event. But but the CFL is no different than an awful lot of other things. And uh, uh, talk about uh, going to see movies in theaters. Those numbers have been dropping because there's options with Netflix and, and other kinds of services. So so the, the, the CFL has to be able to put this product in a position where people, and, and I know it's easier said than done, and this is why I'm glad it's somebody else doing that job and not me, because this is a very going to be a very difficult job. But in order to keep any product in any entertainment industry relevant, they got to work really, really hard, and they got to find some way to be able to to uh, to make that a, a must-see kind of event. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It's one thing for us to sit here and say, "Well, you got to change your business model," but I mean, that's like you watching me golf and say, "Well, Reed, you got to fix your hook." Like, so what? Like, what? What? <laughs> like, I got to do something about it, right? You, yeah. you can see the problem, but the solutions are, are, are something else. Were you? I mean, you're you're an ex-player. Um, and a lot of a lot of current players were unhappy with uh, communication from the league with them and some of the delays in working out CBA stuff. What what's your take on that as a guy who who used to play? I mean, maybe the I don't know the the negotiations were different when you were there, but yeah, you know, Reed, I I uh, the first thing, and I've known Randy for quite a while. I've played with Randy, and I consider Randy to be a very good friend. And uh, and Randy is uh, is taking an awful lot of heat after his press conference and the way this this whole thing laid out, and and uh, and like he said in his press conference, he's a leader of this thing, and I'm going to own it. I made mistakes and all those kinds of things. And yes, Randy made mistakes. The CFL made mistakes, and um, and I think that they made big mistakes in the way that they communicated with the players. And I think that if there was a do-over, those things would have been different. But here's the thing. There was no playbook for this for this uh, COVID nineteen. There's there's nobody in our well anybody alive. Nobody alive has been through this. What these guys have gone through, um, or, or gone through in the last four months. There were no answers. There were no okay. Well, if this happens, this is what we're going to do. Let's go to this page and figure this out. It wasn't. And and frankly, we're not even sure. With my wife being a teacher, not even sure how things are going to go in the next two weeks, let alone three months from now or four months from now. So so this was a very very difficult thing to navigate for the league and for everybody and and then and then if you know anything about the league and and can have a calculator and have any concept of finances you would have very early on went how are they going to do this i don't think this can happen and then to be ultimately surprised at the result of this thing with what we've seen going on around the world with with major league baseball and the costs that are incurred for things like the nhl and and all of the things the hubs that they've put together and you look at the, the little cfl and go well, they're not going to be able to do this i mean i i had that feeling three months ago and and i think if you talk to uh, a lot of the players it was a while ago 
probably a good month ago that they felt this isn't going to happen. And partly because they couldn't get answers from the leagues and they couldn't get the CBA completed, although they got close. They couldn't, they couldn't, guys weren't getting paid. How are they going to go forward when you don't have those simple questions answered? And they really, those had to be the simplest of the questions. And, and then the other thing, if you look at the finances from the teams and you realize that, that even without a, 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 a season this year, teams like the Eskimos will have lost multi-millions of dollars without having done anything. And then to go into a, a, a hub type of a situation and not have any revenue from that uh, other than the television revenue and, and realize that those millions of dollars would have been, been compounded potentially double what they'd already lost after doing nothing and and think why would you do it why would you go forward and play why would you go and lose 10 million dollars when you've already lost five million dollars and haven't done anything and so so i think that um yes the it's understandable the players are upset i would have been upset too i would have been incredibly upset because the communication between the league and the players wasn't very good but I think that uh, um, I, I, I just want to say, what did you expect to happen? Like, what, I, I don't know how else you could have put the, the best negotiator in the world and, and, and you could have put the, the, big, the greatest leader in the world. And I'm not sure the results would have been any different. Blake Dermick joining us tonight on Inside Sports as we discuss the CFL season being cancelled and, and what might happen next. Uh, while we're talking here, Blake, a, a listener who goes by the handle Barhead Bill sent a link to an article uh, from SI.com. What's the date on this? Uh, it's from January of 2020, so before the pandemic, but about uh, dwindling attendance in college football, including even a place like Clemson, which has had one of the best programs. How many years have they been good now? At least four or five, Blake, I'd, I'd have to think. Like, like yeah. really, really good. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, that that that's a, that's a kind of a... a an issue that's bundled into this and you brought it up with with baseball is you know are live sports um are attending live sporting events something like are we the last generation where that's gonna have been a normal exciting thing to do blake i, I, I don't i don't know I, I don't know yeah well you know like and, and people are people are again and i i forgot to mention this but this is the obvious one that i didn't touch on but people are upset that the cfl isn't having a season and i get it because i you know i mean i i work on the broadcast i i've played the game i've enjoyed it football has been in my life since i was 12 years old and and i i'm gonna miss it this year um but if the if the uh, ncaa isn't going and we all know that the the uh, the total amount of money that uh, NCAA football brings in would probably be hundreds of times larger than the G, uh, GDP of, uh, of most countries. Um, they're not going, and they know that those that revenue is gone. And think about how many programs within in university programs and scholarships for kids, and how many millions and millions of people that's going to affect, because they were doing the right thing, because they know that they can't do this thing. And, uh, you know, you forget about the health of everybody else. And you, you we're just talking, talking from a financial standpoint, but ultimately the most important thing is the health. And uh, the, the NCAA is saying, no, it's not worth it. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that's going to impact many, many, many more lives than the, than the CFL missing a season will. Uh, this texter wrote in, and I get a few texts along these lines, and... Uh, Actually, there's a guy, Bacon Man, I give a bit of a hard time to but because he always complains about the start of the games. But this texture says, have games Friday nights at 7 and on Saturday afternoons. And my argument always is TSN has a huge influence on the starting times of the games. 
but I do agree seven's better than eight. And uh, I, I'm under the impression that if when the Eskimos do have a Saturday afternoon game, uh, they make more money because people are going to go and buy hot dogs and still have their their evening available. But TSN often wants games at five, at seven, or at eight. And yeah. Mark Cohan brought up an interesting point the, last night where he's I, – I asked him about sort of about that group ownership model, Blake. You know, like in MLS, it used to be one guy owned five teams and another guy owned six teams, right? Yeah. And he said, what if a broadcast partner was one of the owners of the league? Well, maybe TSN is more interested now in having games in the afternoon if they're getting, you know, whatever, 20 cents on every beer. That's You know what I mean? Like there's got to be – there's got to be some ways to give fans a little bit more they want. And I do hear in this market, uh, definitely people want more games Saturday afternoon and they don't want eight o'clock games. And I want like, why can't that just be satisfied and just tell the, I don't know. I, yeah, I know well, I'm kind of just ranting here, but no, you know, and, and th- those things have been brought up a number of times before. And I, um, and I don't have answers for them other than to say that, um, Typically on Fridays, the TSM wants to run two games in a row. They want to do right. double headers, right? So, so they've got to satisfy the Eastern crowd and the Western crowd, and then they need to have a, a little bit of a spacing between the two games to, to allow for broadcast crews and overtime and all of those kinds of things. So from a logistical standpoint, if you're starting a game at 7.30 uh, in, in Edmonton, then that means that that's um, 5.30 on the East at the, the first, uh, sorry, the, their game with the, uh, you got to have three hours between the two games, and I don't know. You, you, you either start both of them early, or, or you know, one a normal time and one a little bit later, and uh, that's that's a, a scheduling thing that that they have to work out. The other thing is Saturday afternoons, like football. Football being uh, uh, predominantly and, and historically the American sport, Fridays are high school football in in, in the states. Saturdays are, are uh, NCAA, Saturday afternoons. Yeah. And TSN carries a lot of NCAA games. So if they're going to be bumping uh, USC versus Ohio, Ohio State for uh, um, Hamilton versus Montreal, that I, I don't know what that does with their, uh, uh, their rating numbers for doing something like that. So, again, this is a scheduling model uh, that created by guys that are paid a lot of money to figure that out. And if TSN uh, is... is paying each team 5.4 million or 5.5 million dollars a year in television revenue they can pretty much dictate when scheduling is going to be done so and and that's that's that is an issue that is a problem uh i i think that uh it it, we almost need in canada an eighth day which is just a football day but you know (laughs) well well, we got an extra 10 yards on the field why can't we have an extra day in the week an extra day yeah doesn't interfere with any of the other stuff going on but uh um, and I've heard, you know, Thursday night games. Thursday night games has always been a problem and issue. But the reason why they have Thursday night games is because it doesn't really interfere with the NFL. Then, of course, yeah. the NFL started Thursday night football. So, so then that became a challenge as well. Um, so there's, you're, you're trying to. There's an awful lot of football fans, and the football fans can be fans of both leagues. And you want to attract football fans to the CFL because they understand the game. But some guys are are uh, maybe like you had mentioned. Uh, you know, they they like the the NFL game more than the CFL game, and you want to try to get them to like the the CFL game. But you got to accommodate them because under the current situation, if there's a choice between one or the other, a lot of times they're picking the game from down south. Blake, we got to do this again. Well, we'll certainly talk once your boy Brady gets back at it for the Bucks. All right. Thanks for checking in tonight. <laughs> all right, Reed. Thanks a lot.
All right. I don't know if Blake and I solved any problems there, but it was uh, it was good chatting with him. Back with. Okay, good chat there with uh, Blake Dermott, our EE analyst here on 630 Chet. Of course, a former player in the CFL himself. Al says, uh, loved hearing from Blake, need more of that. There's a solution out there. The more we talk about it, the more likely we are all to solve it. Jake in St. Albert says, what are the possibilities uh, of the CFL becoming a partner and a feeder league for the NFL? I don't think that would happen, uh, but I don't know if you heard earlier this week, Len Rhodes said that he'd be very open to that, that uh, maybe the CFL should be a development league for the NFL and change the rules to the NFL rules. So I'm not sure how that would go over. Kelly Rudy in the next half hour. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.